Comcast Business gives you more for your small business with our new gig speed Wi-Fi plus unlimited data. Ask how to get up to a $750 prepaid card with a qualifying bundle. Ends 12-4-2022. Restrictions apply. Requires new gigabit extra bundle with two-year agreement. Welcome back to Office Chats, a podcast presented by Madam Blue. I'm your host, Valeria, and today's guest is Leo Dominguez, the co-founder of Leo at Violette. Leo at Violette offers timeless and elegant leather handbags, accessories, and sneakers that are designed in Paris and made in Italy and Spain. Leo and his now fiancé, Violette, founded their company in 2013 after failing to find high-quality goods at a fair price. Their company prides itself on being transparent and creating well-designed products that can be worn for years to come. In this episode, Leo chats about founding the company on Kickstarter while he and Violette were in school with no prior fashion experience, how they went from shipping products out of their college apartment to having a flagship store in Paris and shipping internationally, plus his biggest advice for founders and entrepreneurs. Let's get into the show. Leo, it's great to have you on the show. I'd love to start by getting some background on where you're from and what you were doing before your company came to be. So I'm 32 uh, years old. I co-founded this company with Violette, uh, which is my uh, fiancé and also my partner in the, in the company. I created this company when I was uh, 22 years old. At the time, I was still a student in marketing. I was in my fourth year. While I was studying, I was also playing a lot of tennis. I was actually on a scholarship in the U.S. back in 2009-2010. Since I'm 10 years old, I used to do school in the morning and tennis in the afternoon. And so when I was in the marketing school, I also worked at an Apple store in Paris. Leo and Villette was the first company that I, uh, I created through a crowdfunding project on, on Kickstarter. And that was the first time I, I, I created a company. That's pretty cool. And I do want to get into like how you started it while you were in school and everything like that. But first, can you tell me how you and Violette met? Yes, of course. So we met each other when we were 18 years old. Violette was having the same kind of studies as me. So I was playing tennis in the afternoon and Violette was singing in the afternoon because she's an opera singer. So that's her career. She doesn't really work on a daily basis with with me on Leo and Violette. We met through different friends. We, we fell in love very, very quickly. We were only 18, so we didn't have any plans of uh, you know, working together or creating a project together. But then we had this opportunity when we were 21, 22 years old, because we were both looking at that time for the kind of products that we, we designed. And instead of looking and looking for, the, for, for it, we decided to, to design it and offer it on a, on a crowdfunding uh, platform. It's so incredible that you guys met so young and are still, after all these years, you know, together, working together, running a business. It's really, really amazing. You mentioned that creating the company came out of a need for products that you weren't seeing on the market. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yes. Well, it's it's really coming from a personal experience on on both sides. Because the first side is that I was, as I said, working at, at an Apple store. And working there, uh, we had a lot of customers coming and buying 
computers that were sold for more than 2,000, 3,000 euros. And every time they were buying this laptop, they were looking for a, a sleeve that could fit the laptop and that would be very professional, very nice, with high quality. And at the time, in the Apple Store, we were only selling sleeves in very cheap materials, not with leather, not with beautiful materials or beautiful craftsmanship. And in the meantime, I was also looking for that kind of products because, I, as I said, I was studying and I was having job interviews for internships. And when I would go to job interviews, I, I wanted to come with a, a nice bag and not a school backpack that looks not very professional. I realized that on the market, there was not a proper offer for this kind of product. It was 10 years ago. Now it, it seems very obvious, but back in, the, in 2012, it was not really the, the, the same situation that led to the very beginning of the project. For those who are unfamiliar with your brand, can you explain what Leo Violette offers and what sets it apart from other brands? We are a leather goods uh, company that is designed to get adapted to your lifestyle. So we don't want to sell products that are very complicated in terms of design, very complicated in terms of use of the product. Uh, we want to have uh, products that you can wear every day. At the, at the beginning, we were making messenger bags, briefcases, backpacks, sleeves that you could wear to work and where you could easily fit your laptop, your tablet, your chargers, uh, all the accessories, the, the tech accessories that you need every day. And then we move on to a more classic leather good company. So we, we sell now uh, handbags, uh, fashionable bags that you like for, for the design and for the colors. But we still keep in mind the use of the product. So we don't want to create bags that are just beautiful or just nice. We want to create bags that have a sense of what you will put inside and how we can adapt the size to, to your needs and not only create a bag that look, looks nice. Mm -hmm. So both function and fashion, not yes. compromising either one. And what mm -hmm. I really love is how timeless all of your pieces are. Like they look like they could be stylish 10 years from now, 10 years ago. It kind of is that classic design mm -hmm. that I love. Did you and Violette ever imagine a career in fashion before launching this brand? No, not at all. <laughs> no, no, we were really not destined to be, to be working in the fashion industry. As I said, I was uh, playing tennis half of my time and studying the rest. I never did an internship in the fashion industry or neither did I have any members of my family working in that industry. And it's the same for Violette. So no, no, we were not supposed to work in, in that industry, but I guess it's also a, an advantage because when you look at an industry from a different perspective than if you work inside of that industry, you can have ideas or you can think of stuff that maybe uh, people that are used to working in that industry for, for 10 years, 20 years, uh, don't think about. And, mm -hmm. and that was the case for us. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think a lot of times people might feel discouraged, like if they studied one thing, but want to pursue a career in a totally different industry, that doesn't, that shouldn't stop you, especially like you said, you could come and bring a fresh perspective, new ideas that other people might overlook. Yeah, it was really the case for us because at the time, no fashion brands were working on, on crowdfunding projects. It was only B2B, you know, with retailers, wholesalers. You try to create your brand, then you go to different retailers and you try to sell the collection to them. For us, it was a totally different approach. That was a very good advantage for us. Mm -hmm. Well, let's get into that a little bit more. You said you started with a Kickstarter campaign focusing on creating just one product. 
What were the first steps you took to launch your business once you saw that there was a lot of excitement around the product, that people were kind of wanting the same thing? What was that like? It was a long journey, but the first step were to try to understand what were the reasons of the success of the Kickstarter project. Did the customers come because of the design, because of the functionality, because of the prices? Trying to understand the customers that we had and what they were searching for at the time. And then we moved on. So we tried to create a collection that would fit the same spirit that we had for the initial product. And then launch our first online store in 2013 on Shopify. We still have the same website almost 10 years after. These were the two main steps. The first step was... Uh, okay, we had one good idea. How can we grow a collection from that idea? And how do we sell the collection that we that we develop? These were the two main points that we had to focus on after the Kickstarter project. And 10 years later, you're still in the game, still producing amazing collections. That's really exciting. Yes, thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As I said, it's, it's been a long journey and uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's crazy to, to think that we're going to celebrate the 10 years anniversary in, in just a few months. It's a good, good success and a very nice story. What were some of the biggest challenges that you and Violette had to overcome to sustain your business over the years? I would say that there is one big challenge that is always here. It's that when you create a brand, it's extremely difficult to think in a long-term strategy and think also in a short-term strategy. You have to be a little bit schizophrenic and say, okay, I need to focus on what is going to work now and in 10 days, but without compromising the brand for the next five years. Often when you start and you you create a collection and you see that maybe it's not working as well as you, you, you could expect, the first thing you want to do maybe is to try to do sales promotions or to try to find a way that you can sell better in the future, in, in, a, in a very short term. But the problem is that if you do that at the beginning, customers will get used to the fact that you will do promotions, you will do sales. So instead of buying the product at the full price, they will wait until it goes on sales. That's what I mean by being a bit schizophrenic, that you you always have to think of two ways of of working. Is that you want to make the best decision for the short term, but you need to keep in mind always where you want to be in the next six months or in the next two years. And the question has to be, what you are doing now, is it going to damage the brand in six months or in two years? Or is it in the opposite, going to improve the quality or improve the global aspect of the brand? Same for production, for example. If you're facing a problem in the production where you realize that there is a problem on the product, but it's a product that you have to launch because it's Christmas, for example, I don't know. What do you do? Do you cancel the production and say, I don't want to take the risk of having problems with that product or do I keep the product in production because I know that it's going to sell, but in two months I will have problems. The biggest challenge is to balance what you need right now compared to what will uh, impact the brand in the next uh, months or years. You're playing a game of chess, essentially. Yes. That's a really good point. Yeah. I'm sure there have been so many great moments over the last 10 years, but has there been any like particularly memorable or exciting moments that kept you going when those times were hard? There has been a lot of, uh, of great moments, thankfully, because uh, <laughs> otherwise the, the hard work would, would be very uh, long and annoying if there is no, no, no success. But 
the greatest moments that would come to my mind would be the, the Kickstarter project because it was totally crazy at the time. We were, you know, just two students living together, working in, in our rooms and seeing uh, others coming from uh, countries all around the world, Egypt or in Singapore, countries that, you know, we never expected to ship to. Also, the first pop-up store that we did, opening doors and having customers coming and see the product in real life uh, was an amazing experience because we could physically see the people coming to the to the pop-up store and saying, oh, I've been waiting for you to open a, a pop-up store for the, for the past six months. I was dying to see this bag in, in real life. I'm so happy to see it. And, you know, that kind of feedback is it's so nice to hear, especially when the brand is very young, as it was in 2015, 2016. This, and then after we had the opening of our first flagship store in Paris, this night was one of the most beautiful nights I had in my life, not just in professional life, but we had all our family uh, there, the friends, even the, the factory from Italy, the people uh, in the factory came to the, to, to the shop for the opening, all the suppliers that we had. It was a, an amazing experience five years ago. And lastly, I would say last year, we had a, a collaboration with an influencer that was a, a huge success. And it was extremely nice to go through the, all the process of collaboration with a, a different person, working on a bag for six months in the shadow, I would say, and then putting the bag in the light and, uh, and having such a good feedback and success. It was also a great experience. That's amazing. I'm sure it's like so many moments where you feel almost like kind of pinch me, like the 22-year-old mm. in his room wouldn't yeah, yeah, yeah. Re really believe what all you've accomplished. Yes, yeah, yeah that, that's the, the Kickstarter project is, is, is still a, you know, success that I cannot really explain. I remember w waking up at night because the others would mainly come from the U.S. because it was at the time mainly a U.S. platform. And, and so I would wake up, uh, wake up at 3 a.m. and seeing, you know, others coming <laughs> at 3, 5 a.m. And I would wake up Violette and say, oh, look, we, we sold five bags uh, between midnight and 6 a.m. And uh, yeah, that, that, that was crazy. Yeah. I mean, anytime you can make money in your sleep, that's worth celebrating, <laughs> right? Yeah, it, it means that the business is good. Yeah. yeah. Well, you mentioned that you were shipping nationwide from the very beginning. Why mm. was that a priority for you and what has been the result? Well, it was a priority because we didn't create a bag that was only fitted for the French customers. It was uh, fitted for customers that were looking for a stylish bag with the need to put inside their laptop and tablets and chargers. So we thought, why should we limit to French customers and not offer the possibility to, to foreign customers to purchase on our website? That's what we did from the very beginning. Shopify helped us sell anywhere in the world. And with the logistic factory that we work with, they could easily ship anywhere in the world. So we, we decided, mm -hmm. let's open uh, orders everywhere. We came back a little bit on that decision. The, the day we realized the shipping cost of, uh, you know, shipping just one bag per month to, uh, I don't know, Taiwan, uh, the price would be 90 euros to, to ship just one bag. So we decided, okay, now we need to focus maybe more on some areas of the world. So we don't ship today in... Africa, we don't ship to South America, for example, but for the rest of the world, we ship uh, everywhere. Was there a point where you and Violette were shipping things yourself before getting on okay. Shopify and your logistics company? Yes. Of course, the Kickstarter project, we shipped everything by ourselves. So the, the 170 bags were shipped uh, 
with my mom, Violette, and I uh, in, uh, in the garage uh, in, in Paris. And then, uh, and then even after that, when we launched uh, the Dionne store for, for two and a half years, it was only uh, shipping from us. Uh, we didn't have a log logistic uh, company at the time. So everything was uh, made uh, personally. But it was a, a, also a great period because at that time, what we now call DNVB, Digital Native Vertical Brands, at that time, it didn't exist. 2014, we had more and more brands coming in that industry. And so a lot of entrepreneurs came and created services for that kind of brands. For example, at the very beginning, I was making the boxes myself one by one. Mm -hmm. But then the company arrived and said, okay, we can come, uh, you, we can give you uh, plastic bags, you can put the bags inside, and we will come to pick up, I don't know, 15, 20 bags, and we will make them in the box for you, and we, we will create the shipping uh, labels for you, so you have less work to do. And that kind of businesses, you know, arrived in the same time that we arrived on the market, we grew with, with them until we reached to a logistic uh, company that was more uh, established and could, could uh, accept volumes that are much bigger. Well, it seems like you've had like a steady growth throughout, yeah. you know, the journey. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me what your company and team look like today compared to when you started? When we started, we had uh, just, just Violet and I. And as I said, Violet was not really working on the project because she had her own, uh, own career. Uh, so it was... 90% uh, me, 10% Juliette, I would say, for um, approximately two years. And then we grew from 2015 to 2022 to, uh, until today. Now we have uh, seven employees uh, in addition of, of me. Last year, we recruited two people. So yes, it's mainly last year that we had an acceleration. Nice. And you said you opened your storefront in 2017. Um, yes. which is about like five years after founding your business. Um, what yes. was that process like for you? I know you said it was a really memorable moment in your life, but I'd love to learn more about like what it was like to actually open the flagship store, staff it, and then the role it's played in growing your community of customers. Opening this, uh, a flagship store is very important, especially for an online brand as we are. Because uh, customers cannot see, you know, the products outside of the, the, the website or our flagship uh, store that we have now. So it was a, a, a big step for us. It has been a long process. We, we found a very nice place in, uh, in Paris. But it, was, it used to be um, a jazz karaoke, um, you know, place. So mm -hmm. it was not adapted to, to sell uh, bags. So it was totally deconstructed and totally redesigned. So we had five months of redesigning the place. We had the key in January and we opened in, in July. So, uh, yeah, no, six months actually of, of work. Um, and it's, it's very difficult to, to open a, a first store because you don't know exactly how things are going to be, how the customers are going to navigate through the store, uh, what kind of plugs you need, because maybe you in the future you will want to put a different uh, shelf at some point or did something different. So we worked with arch architects uh, that were very, uh, you know, professional, very organized, and that were used to working in the retail industry, but especially in the leather good industry. Mm. So they could, you know, also teach us how to light the projects, how to, uh, you know, organize the merchandising so that it was uh, it was nice and very uh, elegant to, to, to come in the store. 
And we made a lot of changes through the years. And, and five years after, the store is, is a very good success. Even uh, after the COVID, we had a lot of customers coming back. It's, it's a very nice space. And what is extremely nice is that we have the store in the front and in the back, we have the, the office. All the, the staff working inside the company uh, work just behind the store. So we can always be in contact with the customers, always understand the pain points that they have, always uh, get the feedbacks. So all the, all the staff can, can improve their, their work based on the fact that they have a, a direct connection with the customers. That's amazing. And like you said, too, to have that direct feedback in person, um, also from the customer perspective, like it's so different to see something online versus go in a store, like you smell the leather, you can feel it, you can try it on, see what it looks like. So that's great mm -hmm. that it's been a success for you. Yes. Well, your brand is all about timeless, elegant designs that are also functional. What are some of the fashion inspirations that influence your company's approach to new design when you're creating products? We have a lot of in in inspiration. The first one is that we look a lot at timeless products. You know, we, we're not trying to redesign the, the fashion industry. We don't want to create new shapes that are extremely difficult we just want to try to find the right shape the right proportion in the leather good industry it's extremely difficult to find the right balance between a bag that is not too big not too small the right proportion sometimes you you increase two centimeters and it looks very bulky so it's uh, always finding the right balance and the inspiration really comes from uh, from the people surrounding us, you know, the, 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 our family, our friends, uh, the, the, the inspiration that we have is really in the daily life. You know, we're not looking at runways from uh, top brands and saying, wow, this is incredible, the, the size is the proportion. We, we don't want to create something that looks uh, difficult to wear. We want to create something that instantly feels familiar you feel like it's something that you can wear and that will suit you very well. But we want to have a very nice color, a very nice leather, a very nice detail that you, you will say when you receive the bag and you have it in your hand, you will feel that there is a, an attention to detail, an attention to, to the craftsmanship that makes this bag a little bit special compared to a very classic shape. Your team is creating these designs and then sends them to Italy to be manufactured. Or can you run me through a little bit more of that process? Uh, so the process is that we usually do a collaboration with all the people in the, in the team. We say, okay, we have a, an idea of creating a bag. I don't know, a tote bag, for example. What kind of tote bag do you like? What kind of handles do you want to use for a tote bag? Do you want a zip tote bag? Do you want an open one? Do you want pocket inside, outside? And then we do a you know benchmark of all the, the the ideas that we have, all the the inspiration that we can find. We gather all this information and we try to create a mood board that we translate to the stylist that we have uh, in the company. And then she will do two, three, four drawings, and then we will decide in a collaboration way uh, which design we like the most. And then we'll send the design to the to the factory in Italy. Usually when we do that, we do a Skype call, you know, for about an hour that explains, you know, the, the drawing and not only say, okay, this is the drawing. Now do the sample. We, we try to really uh, explain and we think about what kind of leather we want to use, what kind of, uh, you know, details we want to have on, on the bag. The factory goes on to make the first sample. Usually they make the first sample 
not in leather, but in uh, what they call in Italy salpa. It's a synthetic material to give us an idea of the proportion to make sure that we like the final aspect. They ship the sample to us. And if we like it, then we, we try to make it with the definitive uh, material. I'm sure it's exciting to see something on paper and watch it come to life yeah. and then watch it on someone's arm when you're walking mm -hmm. down the street. But is the production process the most fun for you or what would you say is the most rewarding part of your job? I would say this part is really exciting. You know, it's Christmas. Like, you know, <laughs> when we receive the package with the new sample, it really feels like, uh, you know, we, we're going to discover something that has never been created before, you know. So it's something that you had in mind. And then you see it for, for the first time and then you, as you said, you put it on someone's arm, hand, and, and you feel like, oh, wow, okay, it looks nice. The bad part is that when you are working in an industry and you become uh, more and more uh, educated to the project, is that when you receive a sample, you only see what's wrong. You instantly focus on what's wrong and say, oh, okay, it looks very nice, but this is too short. And so the, the wow effect only lasts five minutes. And then you move on to the, you come back to the the aspect where you say, okay, maybe we can improve this, maybe we can do that better or, or whatever. Personally, what I like the most, because I'm, I'm really interested in, the, uh, you know, in the, the, the online aspect, is that when we work so hard on creating, uh, you know, a lot of content to explain the project, to, to present it, to, you know, when we make pictures, videos, uh, product pages, landing pages, you know, a lot of things to promote the product. And when we launch it and then we see customers coming, waiting on the website and, and making the purchase, that's an incredible feeling because we really feel like, okay, all the hard work we've, we've been working on in the past six weeks or sometimes 10 weeks is, is paying off and, and we see customers coming and, and buying the product and say, I really like the bag, I really like the design, I really like the pictures that you've made. That feels really rewarding. That's awesome, especially because when it comes to quality goods, a lot of people, once they find a brand they really like that speaks to them, like they'll come back and, and that's, you know, all you could ask for as, as a brand. Exactly. Yes. We talked about how you launched your company in your early 20s. What were mm -hmm. some of the benefits of starting your business so young and how do you think that experience shaped you as a person and as, as an entrepreneur? I would say it's the best uh, thing that could happen to us because uh, when you when you create a company while you are studying, you don't take any risks. My main point while I was a student, it was to get my degree and not to to grow the business. So you you work, you're more peaceful. I would say you don't you don't have a necessity to make sales very very fast. You don't quit your job and you don't have you know a loan of an apartment, a family to to you know to pay a lot of bills to pay. So. That's the best part of creating a business when you're 2022, 20, is that you don't overthink uh, about the, the, the product. And the other aspect is that when you're 2022, 20, there's something that you don't necessarily realize, but you realize it maybe later, is that you're surrounded by a lot of people because you're at school. Uh, at school, you, you meet a lot of people every day. Uh, you have access to different classes. Uh, you can send an email to all the students that you have in your school. So you can have a visibility that is very big with uh, no budget. You have the opportunity to use the platform of the school. You have the possibility to have a word of mouth that is very easy to make. And you have your friends, you know, that promote the brand because you're young and they, they, they want to help. When you're 32, 35, 
it's a bit different because uh, people have their jobs, they have their families, they have their occupation, and you know they don't have a lot of time to help you. If anyone listening, if you're still in school, start taking advantage yeah. of your resources. Yeah, yeah, yeah. really, really, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a great period to to create uh, to create projects. For myself, in the fifth year of my uh, master's, I was in an entrepreneurial master's. So it reunited all the students in my school that were having an entrepreneurial project. The teachers that we had, they would give us lessons based on our businesses. So we could ask questions, we could work on on this. So it's also a very good uh, good point. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, I'd love to talk a little bit about what's next for your company. Is there any upcoming goals or plans or launches for the business that you think people should know about? Yes. Yeah, so, so to keep things very fresh, uh, yesterday we launched a bag that, um, that we have been working on in the past six months very, very hard. I'm very happy because that has been a, a great success yesterday when we, when we launched it. We don't design many bags during a year. We design a lot of new colors or, or a lot of new materials. But a new shape, a totally new uh, design, is something that we do only twice or three times a year. And so this one was very important. And we, we launched it yesterday, and we have great hopes for, for this bag. In 2023, uh, we will celebrate the 10-year anniversary of the brand. And in that occasion, we, we will redesign the, the initial bag that we launched on Kickstarter in the same size. And we will also make a smaller version of that bag with the different materials, different colors, uh, something that is, that is going to be very, very nice. We, we should receive the samples next week. So I'm, I have my fingers crossed. And that's the main point of, of 2023. We expect to continue to grow, especially internationally, and uh, hoping that maybe late 2023, early 2024, we could uh, maybe have a pop-up store in the US because it's now our second biggest market after France. We would love to come and visit our U.S. customers. I'm excited to see that redesign. That's that's uh, like Christmas coming early for you to to get that sample, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes. Well, Leo, I like to close out each episode by asking our guests to provide a few words of wisdom. So mm-hmm. what is your biggest piece of advice for founders and entrepreneurs? The best advice that I can give is that you should keep faith in you. If you have an idea, and you feel that this idea is, is, is a good one, it means that this idea is, will be shared by someone else. You, you're not alone. The, the situation that we had uh, when we created the, the first project is that we felt that there was no bag adapted on the market uh, to our needs, and we felt a lot of people need, needed that, that kind of bag, and that was the case. So you should believe in you and, and, and the idea that you have, without doubting about the fact that if you're not a master of an industry, you cannot work in that industry because we are proof that it's it's possible. And sometimes, as I said, it's really an advantage. And be ready to be a bit schizophrenic and think about <laughs> you know, the short term and the long term. To be successful, you want to have something that, that you like to do. I think some business owners will say, no, I don't care about loving what I do. I do it for the success or for the, for the money. I don't know. But this is not the way I, I feel. For me, I want to do things that I, I love. You know, we, we are the first customers of the project that we produce. We really like the, the, the design and we don't do it just because we feel it's going to be a, a commercial success. We do it because we, we want to, to wear it and we want to see it. I want to see my sister wearing the bag at design. I want to see my mom wearing the bag. And, and it's the same for Violette. 
we love what we do. That's great advice. I think customers can really feel that when someone like values what they're doing. So before mm -hmm. I let you go, can you please let everyone know where they can keep up with you and mm -hmm. Leo if you're led online and on social media? Yes, of course. The official website is leoandjulet.com. Uh, we have a U.S. website, especially us.leoandjulet.com. And on social media, of course, we, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook. The account is just Leo Violet. This is the main platform that we use to promote the brand and to show in full transparency all the, the process behind the creation of the new, new bags or behind an entrepreneurial project like us. Thank you so much to Leo for joining me on the podcast and thank you to everyone listening. I hope you join us next week for a new episode of Office Chats. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.